0: Live for another Round of the debate series I want to thank everyone for listening in uh, Today we have very much a, a heavyweight matchup In store for you um, This will be all NBA questions That we're asking here um, So uh, the the two Participants I have we're Trying to get them on the line and secured Right now um, So I believe we're just Now we're not trying to
1: get them Not them, them is plural it's it's one person we're waiting
0: on. We're not waiting on anyone. Jade's on the line. Saltine okay, is good, on time. It good, is, it is still man. it is still eight p.m. He is on the line. I will not allow this slander to happen. Uh, so these are these are two of the the most highly touted NBA buys in IBS. Um, it's a grudge match. If you haven't seen thus far, um, there were certainly some good materials gone back and forth uh, for the kind of pre-debate rounds. Uh, So I think everyone's pretty excited about what's going in. So um, first and foremost, um, I just want to give them a a second to to say hello. Um, Jade, are you on the line? I am. Okay. Um, And we've heard my brother as well. So I'm going to quickly go over the rules, um, then I'll give you guys a a brief um, introduction, and then we'll get right into the questions. Uh, So first, uh, just to start off so we can give a little bit about the format there will be 10 total questions. Um, these questions will be coming from both the current MBA as well as the past MBA. Um, each person initially will be given one minute um, to give their answer. Then the next person who was not initially give, given the question will be allowed to rebuttal as well as give their answer, and then the, it will go back to the person that was initially posed the question for another 30 seconds. Time will be um, held pretty um, pretty strictly, as we do have a time limit of, of 45 minutes here, um, and I'll also be kind of cutting people off if it gets a little bit out of control with the talking over each other. Um, any questions about the rules? No, we're good. So, sounds like we're good to go. Um, R.C. called first, so I'll let R.C. give his introduction first.
1: It's training day, Jake. It's training day. It all started three years ago. When you would come on my page, a young pup, talking about Jeff Green was great, talking about Paul Pierce was better than LeBron, and we've come a long way. But I'm here to make you great, Jade. I've replaced most of that childish, Pollyannish optimism with realism, and today is the final chapter. I'm going to finally make you great and beat all that silliness
0: and that childishness out of you. All right, thanks for that, Jay.
2: Hey,
0: what he calls uh,
2: training day, I call his day of reckoning. Because uh, hey, I remember, I remember joining the page. I remember the beatdowns. I remember all the contrary, you know, fact ripping of my uh, beloved Celtics, and uh, I, I, I plan on avenging all of that today.
0: Sounds good. Well, um, I think everyone's excited, um, including myself. So uh, let's get right back in, in, right into some of these questions. Um, Jade, I will let you go first um, with this question. What is the most important quality in building a title contender in today's NBA? Uh, you will have one minute to answer that question.
2: Offense. I'm going to make it very simple. I think today you have to have a transcendent offensive player. There's no, no other answer in my opinion because, I mean, you look at Steph Curry and what he's able to do just because of his scoring ability. I mean, specifically, yes, he is a shooter, but his scoring ability, what that allows his team to do on both ends of the floor is absolutely destructive. And, you know, you look at Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and, you know, even even Cleveland, although they've struggled. You know, they have three great offensive players. I, I do think that the game today, you really have to have transcendent scores in order to have your system, um, you know, maximized and, and running at its most potent.
0: Okay. Good answer. Um, RC, you'll be given a minute now to rebuttal that.
1: I slightly disagree. Obviously, scoring with the rules changes that Scoring is up, and it's much easier to score, and that's essential. But you want to build a contender, you want to build a championship team, it starts with the general manager. The general manager has to establish a culture like Greg Popovich did, Jay West before him, like Red Auerbach way before that. It all starts with the general manager putting those pieces in place. Look at what they've done in Golden State and how they put those pieces in place and what we have now. And look at LeBron's failure and how he's not been able to put those pieces in place. But then look at what Pat Riley did, putting the pieces in place. You have to have, You have to start at the top the owner has to hire a very good general manager that can put everything together. And I know that sounds simple, but if you look at it, the teams are run by extraordinary men, the teams that have been winning over the last 10, 15 years, and all the history of the league.
0: Okay. Uh, Now, Jade, you will get another 30 seconds to kind of um, say what you need to say about that. You know, I I think that's all well and good,
2: and uh, I'm certainly not going to disagree that you need a a, a top shelf, general manager to to build a team, but I think um, as far as having a basketball team on the floor that can win, you have to have a great score. I mean, you can be the greatest GM in the world, and you won't crack 50 wins if you don't have a transcendent score.
0: Okay. The greatest
1: GM in the world will find a transcendent score, you think? All
0: right. Yeah, right, that is not your time. We will be cutting people off if they talk out of their time. Um, all right, next question. RC, you'll be going um, first with this, some more technical um, questions as well. Uh, what, Given the new rules uh, that you both kind of alluded to, what, current de- what strategy defensively would you implement as a coach uh, to combat some of the um, analytics and current defensive rules?
1: Well, basically what you have to do these days is you have to pack the paint and run people off the three-point line and force them into long twos. That's the strategy because basically what everybody wants to do is get long, get threes, and they want to go to the rim. You pack the paint. you got to have a rim protector back there. Pack the paint. Don't let anything in. You've got to really aggressively run them off the line and make them shoot twos, and the best defensive team in the league, long twos, do that.
0: Uh, okay, that was a quick answer. Jay, you're good.
2: You know, for me, it's a matter of uh, tempo, I, you know, defensively. I think, you know, you look at a team like Golden State, as incredible as they are offensively, you know, Cleveland came, you know, pretty close without a lot of weapons last year uh, to winning that series. And to me, a lot of it was the tempo. I mean, they did a great job of making that a slow, ugly, grinded-out game I mean, the, the amount of possessions in a lot of those games were staggeringly low for the Golden State Warriors because of the, the tempo control that Cleveland was able to uh, to exercise and use to their advantage. So I, I think you've got to slow the game down in, in order to, to beat a top-shelf offensive basketball team.
0: Um, RC, would you like to uh, rebuttal his answer there?
1: Yeah, I mean, that wasn't really the question. He's saying that offense is the key to playing good defense. You asked for a strategy for defense to stop these high-powered offenses, and he, he related to the slowing down of the pace, which offense could still be very efficient in a slow-paced game. They don't necessarily have to run to be a very efficient offensive team, and the efficiency ratings are uh, calculated by using pace as well. So I don't think he answered the question adequately, and I think mine was more of a strategic answer that we were looking for when the question was asked about the strategy defensively of how to stop the offenses.
0: Okay, um, we will go on to the um, next question. Um, all right, all right. Uh, so I think we'll have a good answer here. Uh, so this is a, a pretty straightforward question. If you had to pick one of these two individuals um, as who is the greatest player, uh, would you pick Wilt or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? And, and Jade whose is question, question is this? It is Jade is your best.
2: I think you've got to go with Wilt Chamberlain here, and a lot of it comes down to just ability and athleticism. I think from strictly uh, an athletic standpoint, Wilt Chamberlain is the greatest athlete of his century probably. I mean, stamina, athleticism, uh, vertical leap, you name it. And, uh, I mean, he could really play too. I think Kareem at times had a little bit more finesse, but I don't think that he had more ability in any way, shape, or form than Wilt
0: Chamberlain. Okay. R.C., it is your go now.
1: I'm going to actually go with Kareem. And for all of Wilt's individual skill level, Jade himself has greatly pointed out that he was lacking sometimes. He did make those around him better. Kareem did. Kareem was a more skilled player, maybe by the fact that Wilt could Uh, dominate the way he did, and and I'm not taking anything away from Wilt, but we're talking about a five-time MVP. The contemporaries around give Wilt two to three MVPs and two titles. Kareem also has five titles, and Kareem was a revolution in the basketball game. He was Wilt with rings, and his longevity and ability to win with Oscar Robinson and Magic Johnson? That's insane! He won championships with Oscar Robinson, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, all that cast of characters, Kareem and ESPN put him up there, the second greatest play of all time. When you talk about greatness, Wilt felt sure quite a few times, especially in game seven where he sat out with a knee injury, and Bill Russell said, I would have played. That's Jay's hero, and he's picking Wilt. All
0: right, uh, your go for a uh, time for a rebuttal, Jay.
1: No
2: doubt but There were times when, when Wilt Chamberlain would use his own ability more than he would probably exercise his you know, teammates or or try to bring teammates into the game. But, you know, at the end of the day, the seasons where Wilt put it all together and he was utilizing his teammates and he was finding people leading the league in assists, there is no way that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was more talented or had better seasons than Wilt Chamberlain at his absolute apex.
0: Okay. Uh, Good answers from both of you. Uh, Here's the next question. This one will go to R.C. first. Um, Who is the best 6'2 and under player of all time and why? (laughs) That's almost
1: a trap question for me. Goodness gracious, people laying out bait. No, it's not Allen Iverson. It's Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas' stats on the surface don't look as good as Allen Iverson, because he had to play within the team concept. He wasn't allowed to just jack up shots and have a great defense behind him. They had an efficient offense because not only could they just play defense because of the error, they also were a very good, very underrated offensive team, and Isaiah Thomas is the one who helped lead that, and also a very crafty defender as well. So I'm definitely going with Isaiah Thomas. You look at game six with the bad ankle against the Lakers in 1988 where he took over the game. 25 points in the fourth quarter. This is iconic, and that's why Zeke is the best player six to and under in the history of the league. Okay, Jade, you good.
2: Okay? You know it's hard to to knock Isaiah Thomas because I mean at the collegiate level, professionally, this guy not only was a great individual talent, but you know he played great basketball. But, but I will absolutely make a case that Allen Iverson is indeed. The best basketball player at his size, because you know you consider really point to Isaiah Thomas's you know accolades and his greatness, but you know he played with an absolutely legendary coach and a complete basketball team that employed one of the best strategies, you know had one of the best systems of an entire era, and Allen Iverson was never as fortunate, but I mean his individual abilities were incredible. I mean that guy could make magic off the dribble he was lightning quick he could get to the rim i mean at times and i know his jump shot was shaky but he could hit shots i just think you know for my money alan iverson's individual talent was was phenomenal and even though he did not play with a hall of fame coach or with hall of fame players still a, a great player and probably the most skilled okay rc
1: you're good these are, I don't even know. You can't believe this stuff. The Kimmy Tambo will be in the Hall of Fame. Larry Brown is in the Hall of Fame. Larry Brown is the only coach in the history of basketball to win an NCAA championship and an NBA championship. He won without Iverson. And the teams that Isaiah was on, those were teams. Those weren't guys who just stand out. They had Rodman before the prime. Dumars was a fine player, but not a star-laden laden team at all. So if we're trying to sing a sad story for
0: uh,
1: uh, uh, Iverson, that's just false.
0: All right. Uh, On to the uh, next question, Jade. This one um, will be for you. Uh, In today's game, is coaching overrated or underrated?
2: I'm going to say it's underrated since those are the two choices because I I look at some of the teams that are – you know, really at their best right now, and you cannot underrate coaching on those teams. I mean, right now, the two best teams in basketball, you got Golden State and then you got San Antonio. And, yes, these teams have a great collection of talent, but you can't underrate, you know, Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr and what they're able to do, you know, systematically, you know, and with X's and O's, you know. Um, Yeah, you cannot underrate coaching when, the success of basketball teams is right out there. And the teams that are struggling, I mean, some of the teams that are struggling in basketball right now have the talent, but they don't have the coaching. And to me, the, you know, Cleveland, Cleveland is the greatest example of what it means to have talent but not have the great coach.
1: Okay. Mm-mm. It's underrated because when, when we talk about coaches, especially at that level, the higher you get, the more coaching is about implementing systems and managing people. And at the NBA level, you have to implement your system. And people say, "Oh, look at the look at the Warriors! Look what they did without Kerr." But Kerr implemented the system and the principles, and that they allowed that. Luke Walton could get in there and drive the ship. That's coaching in the NBA. You manage people, you create systems, and you follow through. And his team has a fine coach that he didn't even mention, Brad Stevens. He's getting the most out of that team, because that's really an AC that he has in the hunt for top five feet. Okay. Jay, you have any rebuttal to
0: that?
2: I don't think that we're really, uh, you know, opposing each other on this one. But I will say that, you know, I know obviously Brad Stevens is another example, and, and there's others. You know, I mean, the teams that are even young teams that are, you know, on the come up right now all have, uh, you know, all have great coaching and are all growing as a team because of because of coaching.
0: Okay, uh, we are out of time for that particular question. Um, so this question goes to URC. What would the Golden State's record be, obviously this is an approximation and, and guessing, um, without Steph Curry? Uh, basically, how, what level of a team are they? And explain um, kind of your thought process behind that. Well,
1: I'm going to see if I can actually answer the question. because a lot of people.
0: So the other person doesn't seem to be answering the actual questions.
1: Steph Curry, it would be a 50-win team. Clay Thompson is much better than people think. He's almost become underrated with what Draymond Green has done. He's become seemingly the third wheel, but Kelly Thompson is the second-best shooter in the in the league, just overshadowed. When you have the bench as deep as it is, where Iguodala, Barbosa, Livingston is crucial. If Livingston started, he would be a very serviceable point guard. So a 50-win team, you wouldn't have Steph to be efficient, efficiently offensively. You might be better defensively, maybe even 55 wins. I think they could be better than the Clippers are without Blake Griffin. So I think that's the range that you have uh, uh, with a steph list Golden State Warriors.
0: Okay, uh, Jay, did a year ago to answer that question.
2: You know, I'm, I'm going to say 45 on the low, 50 uh, on the high, and 50 being very high to me. And uh, I mean, I you got to acknowledge that they do have a lot of talent. I mean, they're they're deep when you have Livingston and Nicodala and Dre. I mean, they have multiple not only great players but they have multiple playmakers. And, you know, there's some really talented defenders on this team. And, you know, he talked about Clay Thompson, who is a bit underrated. But I can't see them getting 55 wins and and, and being, you know, top one, top two seed in in the West without Steph Curry. I mean, he really is the magic for that team. What his shooting does for that team, what his ability off the dribble allows them to do, systematically would be gone. So while I still think it would be a good basketball team, I don't think that there would be – I think by midseason
0: they would be they would be in a rut. Okay. That is your time, R.C., you 30 seconds to rebut.
1: I mean, we're roughly talking about 20 games. Let's say they win 70, and I said 50, 55, 50 to 55. That's 20 games they'd be losing without Steph. And you can't take the opinion of this man with Clay Thompson because he said Doug McDermott would be better than Clay Thompson. So I don't think you can evaluate. I don't think Jay is qualified or has the credentials to evaluate anything involving Clay Thompson.
0: Yeah, all right. I'm going to the next question. Um, this is a little bit layered, so you can kind of take it in the direction you want from an interpretation standpoint, but I think you'll understand what the person is asking. So uh, with today's NBA game, obviously, um, there's a heavy focus on analytics, and there's certain things that are emphasized in today's game, whether that be, um, as we talked about, the three-point shot, um, the lack of mid-range jumper, um, certain rules from a defensive and principal standpoint. With the new analytics, what do you think has been the biggest overreaction um, from a scheme standpoint that, um, NBA teams are almost universally implementing um, that you think maybe a team should be daring enough to um, go the opposite direction and, and try things a, a little bit differently than the math. That's the longest From question I ever
1: heard. You're reading
0: a damn novel. What do you want me to do, man? I'm, I'm giving you questions out. If you don't like the question, you can pass that answer. So, Jade, did you.
1: I, I was just joking.
0: But anyway. I'm not. even are You know what I'm saying? Jay. Who's going to take this one on right now? I'm, I'm trying to say you, but I was getting interrupted as the moderator. Sure, go? All right. I think right now the biggest overreaction
2: in basketball is the lack of mid-range shooting. I think to a degree, I think it can still be effective. I think you still need easy baskets. And I only say this because there's a lot of teams in the league who are not good three-point shooting teams because they don't have the personnel. So instead of stepping inside and looking for easier baskets, they still try to employ the three-point shot at a high volume. And I just think that I think that's really counterproductive. And, and I definitely think a lot of teams would be better suited to, to score inside the three-point line. All
1: right, I think you agree. Uh, the evolution of the stretch four is an illustration of this. A lot of people out there shooting threes that they really shouldn't have to, and they're saying it's the percentages, it's the percentages. But you can't make up for game. And if a guy has a wide-open shot and you want him to back up or you want him to pass up a 16-footer so he can get a three, basketball is in your soul. There's a rhythm to it. And I think sometimes what they're doing now, with the analytics, you're, you're ruining the soul of the game and the rhythm and the flow of it
0: to chase numbers. Uh, back to you, Jay. No, nah, I think if we pretty much
2: are, are on the same page on this
0: one. Okay. Um, this question will go to <laughs> RC. Uh, <laughs> what what team uh, currently would be the uh, best fit for Carmelo if he were to raise his no trade clause? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is no best fit for Carmelo Anthony He's a loser Any team that he goes to is not go- If it's a contender It's not going to get better You're talking about a one-way player Who has tried to improve a little bit But since he's been in New York They went to the playoffs one time There's been enough talent They make excuses he can- That team should be in the playoffs every year If you're a superstar in the East Your presence alone By making people better Should be able to make them make the playoffs so I am not on the Carmelo bandwagon. I have never been. He is one of the greatest scorers ever played in NBA history, but he's a one-dimensional player. He's a one-trick pony. If you put him on, if you put him on Cleveland, I guess he would score. But then you'd have another person that can't defend. So there is no fit for contender that Carmelo Anthony makes better. You just got somebody that's gonna demand the ball and not play defense and. You basically have an older version of Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving because that's what they bring to the table. See, that's not winning basketball. He's not a winner.
0: Okay. Uh, Jace?
2: I think that's a little bit over the top. I I think saying Carmelo Anthony, there's no place in the league right now that he could thrive in more than New York, I think is a bit much. And, and, you know, this guy is one of the more one-dimensional superstars in the NBA, but, I mean, he's a much better defender than than what R.C. is saying. This this is not a Kyrie Irving or a Kevin Love type of defender. Mello is competent. He has played in some horrible defensive systems, and I'm certainly not going to say that this guy would ever challenge for, you know, all NBA defense, but this guy is absolutely a competent defender, and if you put him on a team, especially on a team, with a lot of defensive pieces, this guy could do very well. And, you know, I'm pressed for time. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll throw Boston out just for the sake of, of getting an answer. And I think he could do well for that team. That team has a lot of defense. They have a system that makes plays. Their system makes plays. So the fact that he would, you know, not necessarily be a guy out there, but negated. And he would be the kind of prolific scorer that a team like that up. lacks.
1: Okay. And, and Jay says a key thing. And first of all, he misquoted me because I didn't say he couldn't thrive. But he said to say that there wouldn't be a team, that Carmelo wouldn't thrive, I never said that. I said a team would not thrive. Carmelo is always going to get his buckets, but will that make the team better? We're seeing, that's like saying putting Kobe Bryant on a team. And Carmelo is better than Kobe right now, but let's say Kobe from three years ago. You're still is, – is it a positive He would positive still avoid. Are we going to get that? Are going to get that? Jay, one at a time, Jay. Go ahead, RC. I, I, I think we should go across a little bit. But anyway. But, yeah, and his defenders, the defending thing he was saying was overrated because he, he's he's not awful, but he's not good. He's not a positive defender. He's not even where Steph Curry is as a defender. They hide him on the worst possible oh, big they possibly can.
0: And his second. effort
1: level has to be questioned at all times.
0: All right, I can allow a little freedom for the last couple of questions if y'all want to kind of just go and, and talk over each other if there's more to say or mellow.
1: You
2: don't think okay. that Carmelo Anthony could fill a void for a team that already had a lot of their strategy together, who already had their system together, but just laughed. The system would be over he because he the stop
1: the ball. He's a ball stopper. Your team moves the ball. You don't really think Carmelo Anthony would make your team better. Maybe in an isolated, maybe in the playoffs, maybe he can get a cup a cup of good game, but he's going to stop the ball. Whatever system you have is going to be torn down by him and his style of play.
2: He's a big All boy. Right. He could scale back his possession.
1: Right, <laughs> he's never
0: done it gonna before. Move, we're going to move on to the next you question. He's been on garbage teams. Uh, there's, of him. Two more, <laughs> there's two more questions left. Um, try to get these out, then we'll uh, give time for uh, kind of the closing statements. Uh, so here, um, the second and last question, a little bit of a mix, but it's still very much NBA related. What lottery team is the best fit for uh, the top prospect in the upcoming NBA draft and the top prospect can be whoever you think will be the best NBA player?
1: This is Jade, right?
0: Uh no, you're going first on this one. Okay.
1: Um, well, I'm giving Ben Simmons as my top prospect. And I honestly think, as ironic as this is, is I think it would be New York. If you had somebody that's a playmaker on that team, and if, which I don't know, but he could do it, though, because Carmelo would just like to shoot. Ben could set him up. He His versatility, he could do a little bit of everything. You have Porzingis. You'd have a nice base to build on if Ben Simmons went to the Knicks. And I think the platform that he's looking for is in New York as well.
0: Uh, Jade, it is your turn.
2: Yeah, it would be really hard to, to counter Ben Simmons and try to be, you know, contrarian for the sake. I mean, this guy is going to be a really good NBA player. Guys are going to thrive around him because of his passing ability. He's a big who can step out. And his jump shot to me is probably better than it even looks right now in college, which in the NBA they're really going to utilize. This guy this guy is going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, as far as the team that I think that he would make the biggest impact on that has a chance, you know, it, it, I'm going to go with the Lakers um, strictly because I, I think that, uh, you know, do they have one of the best chances in this draft, and, you know, they're superstar-starved. I mean, they're starved for any kind of future. They just need something. I mean, even a team like Boston right now has has a coach and a system in place to where, you know, they can win 45, you know, games and add a couple pieces and do well. I mean, the Lakers need this kind of player to move forward, and, and he would really be that for them.
1: Okay. RC, good, an- get, good answer, uh, Jade. Get Byron but- Scott another player to destroy. That team is already too young. I don't think Now, on the surface if they fire Byron Scott and they put Luke Walton there. But if you want to put Ben Simmons in L.A. and you got a coach that can't manage young players, that's a horrible situation. And the team's too young. So there's no leadership. Kobe. They've wasted two seasons or maybe more with the Kobe Fairwell Tour. So I think that's an exceptionally bad fit.
0: All right. Um, on to the last question. Um, hopefully this will get some good dialogue going. Uh, who is currently the most overrated player in the NBA and why? Jay, this one is on you. Proof. Wow.
2: In, uh, right now I'm going to go with James Harden. I think that this guy obviously is just a really, really complete scorer. I think he's a really complete offensive player in general because of his passing ability. But I think when you look at him, you, are, you have to be looking at one of the worst leaders, one of the worst superstar leaders in basketball right now. And you could probably just make a case throughout basketball history. This guy is awful. I mean, I don't see him holding teammates accountable, at least not in the way that you should. I don't see him being able to gel with anybody else on that team effectively. I mean, him and Dwight Howard just have not been able to figure out the whole one-two punch thing. This guy's body language sucks sometimes. Uh, he doesn't play really much of any defense. I mean, you talk you know, talk about Carmelo Anthony earlier. This guy this guy thinks now. if he poked his hand a couple of times that, you know, he's played some defense, but he's overrated.
1: All right, RC, your go. This is an unpopular answer. I'm going to do this and maybe even risk losing the debate over it. But Bushy <laughs> Cousins, how many times have we seen a player make all these points, get all these stats on a really bad team, and then when they go to a good team, they can't? Now, I'm not saying he's not a very talented player, but he's a idiot because he isn't. But he shoots. Like 44 to 46 percent, and he shoots three threes a game. He's a center that doesn't shoot 50 percent or close to it from the field on a garbage team where he can get just about any shot he wants. His talent is good, but we've exaggerated how good Boogie Cousins is and why he's shooting three threes a game. I have no idea. And Jade exaggerated that James Harden being one of the worst leaders of all time. Are you serious? And he's not a great leader, but stop it, please. The exaggerations are impermanent, just ridiculous.
0: All right, James. team in
2: Houston has been starving for James Harden to exhibit any kind of leadership. I think he is the reason why this team has not grown, especially in the last two years. They haven't taken the next step. And I think a lot of it is this guy has never, ever taken full responsibility for what it means to be a superstar. That This guy is an absolutely awful, awful leader.
1: Okay, go ahead, I'll let it go. Yes, he's go an ahead. awful leader, but he's getting it done. He scores all kinds of points, and, and he just constantly – people don't like James Hart, they like to the crap on him because they see Vines. His offensive ability, the ability to get to the free throw line, the whole team functions through him. So as bad as he it. is as a leader, he's that good on the court. And people are in their emotions when they say James Hart. The most overrated player on the team – on his worst day, the worst year, came there, out of shape, out of, uh, overweight, and it's still an AC, and he, he, he really doesn't have much help. So, and that's just on his back with, without any help. So, James Harden being—I mean, he nobody who rates him high. Most a lot of people don't even have James Harden in his top ten, and he's the most disliked, one of the most disliked players in the whole NBA. So, and last year he had a great season, but so who rates him high in the first place that has him in the upper echelon to make him overrated?
0: I can give you a little bit more time, Jay, because you weren't supposed to go. Uh, I, I think his talent, in talent in many
2: circles has put him in the top five, top six, seven. I don't well, think this guy – Name him. somebody
1: that has him in the top five. Name a respected journalist that has James Harden in the top five. And I started to say top five,
2: six, seven. He, he's absolutely oh, yeah, in the I bet top you ten. You did
1: start to say five, six, seven. You paused. But anyway, I did no
2: no. They, they play it back. They will play it back. He should be in I mean, the
1: top seven. He was second in MVP. The players thought he was the best player in the league last year. He won the Players MVP. As much as people want to disrespect it and they want to say, "Oh, the media is horrible," but they don't want to respect a Player of the Year award from the actual peer. All right, we're
0: going to so, wrap. You know, this. I right, so think. he is
2: rated highly, even even by his peers. I mean, you're making my point right now. He last is rated year, highly last
0: year. All right, we're going to wrap this one up and and going to go to the closing argument. Um, I think, think we've got some good substance here. Um, we'll allow two minutes for closing arguments each, and I'll allow a little bit of, of trash talking back and forth, free flowing time before I eventually cut you guys off. Um, so Jade went first last time, so RC, it is your time to go first for your closing argument. You have two minutes.
1: I think I just made the case. I, I really did. If you listen to the answers, they were more powerful. They were more succinct. I was more confident in my answers. I exposed where he wasn't answering the question. Some of you might not agree with my answers, but my answers were rational and they were delivered well, and they did not. And he actually literally made mistakes within the questions that he was – and I pointed them out time and time again. He made mistakes about the accuracy of some of his questions in terms of Larry Brown not being a Hall of Fame coach when, or and, not, and Dikembe Mutombo not eventually being a Hall of Famer. I believe he already is. So he was inaccurate on some counts. He misspoke. He used and engaged in hyperbole. I love Jay. Jay's a great kid, but he did not win this debate. He did not do what he promised. He did not bring IBS to the people. He didn't do it. He came up short, and there's no shame in that. I applaud him for stepping up to the challenge. Most of you won't even do that, but he didn't get it done today. I did. All right, Jay, your go.
2: I just want to say, first of all, I I really enjoyed this one. But uh, as far as not answering things uh, adequately or, you know, uh, being factually incorrect, I I said all-time coaches. And to me, Larry Brown's not an all-time great coach, but that's beside the point. I mean, there's really nothing today that I've said that I wouldn't say again or I haven't said before. I am very comfortable with every point I made today. Especially considering the amount of time I had, Um, and I think that uh, overall, yeah, I I definitely think I took this one today.
1: So we get our little minutes. We get our minutes here. So Ray Brown's not an all-time great coach, but Chuck Daly is. So so you're. What's the difference between Ray Brown and Chuck Daly as a coach, Jade? What's the difference?
2: Chuck Daly, to me, also, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, being a player coach. I mean, he was. I mean, he kicked his players' asses, obviously, but, I mean, he really got the most out of guys in ways that I don't think Larry Brown did. I think at so times what, Larry what Brown, did Larry Brown go to? How
1: many How many times did Larry Brown go to a team and he almost instantly improved? The only sale you have is the Knicks. He even got FMEU. They should have been in the tournament and he may have cheated, but he's won at every level. Like, what What else do you need?
2: Well, I, I certainly and, don't want and to you put that in Hall in, the Hall of in the NBA, Hall I'm, of I'm the not, I'm not putting him Fame, anywhere near Mount right? Rushmore.
1: Right, Jade. You said Iverson didn't have any Hall of Famers, but the Kembe's in the Hall of Fame. So is Larry Brown.
2: Kembe was a fossil in in, in, in Philadelphia. Uh, that true. was not the problem. Yeah, he 15, fifteen, eleven, and two blocks. It you was tell me Eric knows, you know, an All NBA player.
1: He was the Defensive Player of the Year, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this, they, ha- and this, they, this and they was had a great defensive exactly, team. You said there were no they Hall had of had Famers. A he team. has a Hall of Famer. He had a Hall of Fame coach. He had a Hall of Fame defensive player who's in the Hall of Fame. So that you just missed Pope. You can just go ahead and say that you missed Pope. Allen Iverson was a one-man offense
2: on that Philadelphia team. Everybody knows that team had adequate defense. tempe Matumbo,
1: even adequate though he was defense. Aging. They were in the top ten of defense. There's more than adequate. Come on. Now, I'm not taking away from Iverson. He did carry the, the scoring burden. But they also played very good defense. You can't say that Iverson did not have the Isaiah Thomas. It didn't have a lot either. But he made the best of it in the greatest era of all time. I'll How take Dumars over Isaiah anybody Iverson had. How many Hall of Famers did Isaiah play with? And Rodman was not a Hall of Famer at that time. He barely averaged double-digit rebounds.
2: And Lambeer, I would take Beer over – over, over, Dikembe over, you
1: would take Bill oh, Ambeer over to Dikembe. Lampier wasn't a black top. hole oh on, on offense. Oh, my God. Every now and then you got to be white, don't you? Every now and then it just seems out. And I love Bill Ambeer. But functionally, there's nothing. He wasn't really a better offensive player than Dikembe. And defense, it's not even close. Not he wasn't. Close. He stretched the floor so so to Dumars and Isaiah could get to the rim. He wasn't shooting threes. He, he was shooting, He was. They, they weren't even shooting threes that much back then. And he was standing kind of in the high post and at the college three. It wasn't that much of a stretching of the floor. Come on. And he, to take the uh, Kemba Matumbo, who's a Hall of Famer, over Bill Lambeer, who was a very important part, but he was just a role player. And Kemba was a two-way player. Lambeer was a
2: two-way player, and he affected that so Detroit team on both was there, sides of the there a floor. year the
1: Kemba did not average double digits? <laughs> I mean, in his prime, he always averaged double digits. That hey, year you're, you're talking about he averaged 15 points a game, 17 points in the playoffs. He could score. He had a few playoffs moves. Now, no, was he a large one? Of course not. But he was a functional offensive player. He's definitely, you can't say Bay
2: was a one-way player. What did the offense do for Iverson? Because Lambeer's offense, his ability to stretch the floor, allowed Dumars and uh, Zeke to get into the paint. What did Matem-
0: Matem- get Matem- offense into the offense
1: do paint. for right, Iverson? We're going to wrap
0: this up. Starting to get a little circular here. So, I I think this is a good stopping point here. Great debate, everyone. Um, We will be putting a live poll up for everyone to go ahead and vote. Um, We'll keep that into tomorrow um, to announce a winner. Uh, Thank you both guys for your time. This is a very good debate. um, And thank you to all the IBS listeners. Um, Until next time. Good job, Jay. Thanks for doing it.
2: Thanks.